0: everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Ethicast. I'm your host, Bill Coffin, and with us today is Atmosphere CEO, Erica Salmon-Byrne. Erica, thanks so much for joining us.
1: Always a pleasure, Bill.
0: Now, this episode was not really planned in advance. It's more in reaction to something that happened recently in the news. Following the tragic OceanGate submarine disaster last week, much has been said of OceanGate CEO Stockton Rush, who was lost when his craft, the Titan, imploded underwater with four passengers on board. And much has been said about his attitude towards safety and certification. In an email with fellow submarine industry professionals, he decried, quote, standards, compliance, focused design processes, end quote, as an impediment to innovation and ethics compliance teams hear such concerns all the time. So we thought we'd talk about them today. So Erica, my first question to you is when you hear, you know, I can't abide by this standard, I'm too busy innovating. What does that make you think uh, as an ethics compliance professional and from a best practices standpoint?
1: It's super frustrating, Bill, because it reflects the traditional dichotomy that so many people still see between compliance and innovation. And the fact of the matter is, a, a strong ethics and compliance team, is it exists to help you innovate safely and effectively, right? So, So many people still, unfortunately, think of the compliance team as the department of no, right? If I bring you something, you're going to say no. And the fact of the matter is, a good, strong compliance team is going to help you say, have you thought about X? Have we planned for why? What do the risks look like with this decision? Have we effectively thought through what those risks look like? Are we sure that the risk appetite is something that we're comfortable with? And so, when you think about ethics and compliance and the role that those teams can play in a strong in a company with a strong safety culture, for example, um, then you are going to find a team that is helping you get to yes, if right, as opposed to no, um, and 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 that's that's how. That that is the the way in which I wish more organizations thought of their ethics and compliance teams, as opposed to this idea that somehow if you comply with a regulation or a safety provision, you're somehow getting in the way of innovation. The safety provisions exist for a reason, right? That's the fact of the matter, and we saw that unfortunately, very tragically, with this situation. The safety provisions exist for a reason, um, and you know, assuming that that it's just some you know fuddy duddy uh, antiquated you know, piece of, 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 uh, of control um, can, can be tragic.
0: You know, a justification for suboptimal behavior, especially illegal behavior like bribery, uh, is often, well, if I don't do it, my competitor will. So how do you defend against that kind of competition-based logic to sidestep rules and regulations?
1: Well, to me, the easiest way to think about it, to, to flip the switch on that kind of thinking is to think about why we, why we have those regs in the first place right? Who does, who does corruption benefit? Does it benefit the community that you're trying to operate in? Does it benefit your company? Does it benefit the ordinary people? No, it benefits the people who are actually, you know, paying and pocketing the bribes. And I think if you think about, and this is one, you know, famously back in the day, um, you know, Google's uh, anti-corruption policy said, started with, um, when bribes are paid, people die. And if you think about the the reason that we have anti-corruption laws in the first place, um, then it becomes a lot easier to navigate those pressures um, and to, to, to think through the ways in which you want your people behaving when they're put in a situation where they're being asked to pay that kind of a, of a, of a bribe. There are so many tangible impacts of, uh, of corruption in so many countries. And, Human trafficking is another great example. There's so many tangible impacts of human trafficking, um, which is often intricately, intricately linked with uh, anti-corruption, that if you go back to the why for the rag in the first place, um, you'll usually find there's a pretty
0: good reason. Sometimes companies make bad decisions just out of ignorance or their enthusiasm blinds them to possibly negative outcomes. So following a major setback... Uh, what is the best way to win a company or an industry's hearts and minds so that they pursue best practices, but doing it in a way that doesn't, doesn't feel like you're adding salt to the wound?
1: These kinds of situations, these sort of high-profile events, offer us a really good opportunity to ask ourselves, how would it happen here? Um, and obviously, you know, like we're not all diving into the Titanic. So the ocean, So this particular set of circumstances, the f- pieces of the fact pattern are not going to work for every organization. But there are parts of this fact pattern that probably work for most and so taking a step back and saying okay what can we learn from this situation um what are the pieces that we can pick apart and say could that piece happen here why or why not how could we happen how could we keep it from happening here i strongly encourage anybody who's listening into this conversation anytime there's one of these high profile uh, stories in the news always use it as a learning opportunity for your organization and ask yourself what piece of this could happen here? And how would I keep it from happening here? Because there's no shortage of opportunities to do that kind of case study-based exercise. And those real-life scenarios are the very best way of doing a tabletop exercise without having to go through the tragedy in the first place.
0: This particular tragedy was unique in the sense of the technology involved, the conditions Mm -hmm. involved. It was a very unusual situation. But we see companies make tragic mistakes uh, for all different kinds of reasons. So I guess... My question to you, this is really kind of outside Oceangate, which is, have you ever experienced or witnessed a company that openly and proudly sidestep best practices in the name of innovation or in the name of greater competitiveness, and it not ultimately result in some kind of catastrophe?
1: I cannot think of a situation where I haven't seen at least some kind of an impact for deliberately sidestepping or enthusiastically sidestepping controls. Um, I can't say that every one of them has la- has landed in a situation that would qualify as a catastrophe, but they are certainly organizations where we have seen um, greater turnover than perhaps their peers might have. Right? They're losing some of their best people uh, over the course of time because people don't want to stick in that kind of environment. Um, you know, the, they have kind of a, a steady drip of smaller issues um, because they aren't taking safety concerns or compliance concerns or behavior concerns as seriously as one would like them to. So catastrophe, I probably can't say everybody has run into an ocean gate level catastrophe, but impact for sure, right? Because think about it. And you have heard me say this many times, you know, Bill, at this point, the average company's value, the majority of it is intangible assets. And if you create an environment in which your people don't feel safe showing up for work every day, then there's going to be an impact for that.
0: One of the things that I noticed in the immediate aftermath of this tragedy was there was a lot of reporting um, about members of the commercial submersible industry, which I which seemed like it was a fairly small industry and, a, and kind of a tight knit community. So people had direct lines of communication to each other. And there were efforts by people to try to raise their concerns over what they felt were safety issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, outside of, that just reminds me of outside of Ocean Gate. This is really not about that anymore. But that phenomenon of people within an industry seeing a possible risk and then trying to alert people within the industry that hey, I see something might be wrong, but it's tough when you're talking organization mm-hmm. to organization, professional to professional. Um, the social permission may not be there. It, there's a lot of obstacles. Do you have any advice for people out there in the world, for you know, in their professional travels when they see an issue that really demands attention? Um, how best can you raise that flag with somebody else, going, "Hey, I think there's a problem that needs addressing."
1: Yeah, it's a really good question, Bill. You know, and, and we don't even really we can go we can go we can hop in the Wayback Machine, not a submersible, um, and and use a different example, which is you know if you think back to the early two thousands, um, WorldCom's performance when you know in terms of, of recovering their 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 uh, fiber investment was driving everybody else in the telecommunications space bananas, because they could not figure out how they were doing what they were doing. Well, they were doing what they were doing because it was fraudulent, right? And so I think always keeping in mind that there could be multiple explanations for a particular situation, but also trusting your gut if you really think that something is wrong in a particular set of circumstances, sharing that in whatever way, shape, and form you, you, you feel appropriate. Unfortunately, right. If we think about the triangle of, of uh, behaviors that we hope to see when somebody raises a concern, the, the people involved here were not open to the feedback that was given, right? And in fact, just you know, based on the reporting I have seen, it seems like the the the, um, the team, you know, working on the uh, on the Titan, got um, more stubborn with the issue, with the concerns being raised as opposed to taking them seriously, right? It was almost a, became almost a, a, you know, us against the world kind of situation. Um, And sometimes that'll happen, right? Sometimes that'll happen, but thinking through, you know, where are the places where potentially I could get somebody to listen to me, right? Maybe I can't go straight to the person who ought to listen to me, or I go straight to the person who ought to listen to me and they don't, what are my other avenues, right? What are the other places that I could potentially Bring this information up. Can I keep saying something to somebody until I get somebody's attention? Um, that you know that 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 would be the thing that I would encourage people to think about.
0: Are there any resources at Ethosphere that you would drive people to or recommend people take a look at uh, when they think about this and think about the the issues that we've been talking about today uh, for them to go? You know what? This is where I can turn to learn more and to kind of help uh, make it more possible for me to kind of advance the needle in a meaningful way at my organization.
1: Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I, yeah, thanks, Bill. It's a, no, it's a really good follow-up. I think the, the thing that I would point people to, and probably the thing that I'm, one of the things I'm most excited about that we actually just launched is our new toolkit on retaliation prevention. Right. So really thinking through to that point about like, I mean, look, it, it is an act of courage to bring a concern forward. And I don't want to diminish the people who raised concerns about this, about safety in this particular context and weren't hurt. Um, but if I think about, you know, okay, if I, if I take my own advice and I, I go to the could it happen here analysis, and I think through what are the ways in which this could potentially, um, or something like this in my own, you know, sort of context come up in my organization, um, one of the things that I would point people to is really thinking through how have you created an environment where people are comfortable raising their hand um, and engaging in that act of courage and going to the resources that are available to them. And that really goes to creating a speak up culture. Uh, so i would I would say check out the latest things that we've just released around that that prevention of retaliation piece in particular, because that's what people tell us keeps them from raising their hand is a fear that something bad is going to happen. And particularly in an in, uh, an industry as small as commercial submarine you know travel um, or you know com- com- commercial submersibles, that's a really, really tiny community, right? And so for people to have had the courage to raise their hand and to be rebuffed, that says something about how serious the issues that they were potentially talking about were, um, and so that would be the piece that I would I would say to myself, okay, where are the pockets in my company where it's a really small community and people might not be comfortable raising their hand, and what can I do about it?
0: Well, Erica, it is always a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much for coming on the show today to talk with us. Now,
1: absolutely, my pleasure, Bill. Um, and uh, you know, you you and I are are fortunate in in the fact that we get to to uh, give our analysis on these kinds of issues using this sort of vehicle. So um, while I, I hope that the next one that we react to is not quite as tragic, um, I look forward to uh, to getting on the next issue of Atmosphere Reacts with you.
0: Most certainly. Well, to take advantage of some of the resources that Erica mentioned before, please visit com slash resources. My name is Bill Coffin, and this has been The Ethicast. To watch more episodes of The Ethicast, please visit youtube.com slash or you can download our podcast at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google podcasts, or Amazon music. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you next time.